0: Can you? You. Yeah, yes. <laughs> let's pray, huh? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we're gathering together unto you, mm. and unto you may the gathering of the people be. Not just to teach and wonderful how it is, not just to hear Bernard, and that's wonderful too, but to come to you, Father. That at the end of this meeting, we might know you so much more than we did at the beginning. That's the yearning of our hearts mm-hmm. to go on with you, to walk mm-hmm. with you increasingly mm-hmm. day by day, mm-hmm. and to become more like you. Bless our time together, we mm-hmm. ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Beautiful way to sum it up there. That's all our hearts, isn't it, Bernard? Thanks, Richard. Yeah, yeah. so, amen. amen. Over to you. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a time, you know, when we're, we're looking, as you know, seeking to speak a little about the unchanging truth of God and I, I felt still a little unfinished last time two weeks ago just speaking a little bit about god i always remember perhaps i mentioned this before that i met a, a man a youngish man who had been in california and uh during the time of the kind of hippie you know jesus people thing uh, which would have been in the 1960s i think it was the, the 60s and into the late 60s early 70s and he mentioned to me much later in life he, he said that he always remembered most vividly uh, that in the midst of all of their keenness, their zeal, their listening to this speaker, that speaker, the other speaker, that he remembered a, a speaker in particular who he said that he would follow till to the other end of the world to hear speak again, if it had been possible. And he always remembered this man standing on the edge of uh, the platform and just saying to all these young people, all these young his, hippies, uh, I am here to speak to you about God. And it so gripped his heart because he'd never heard anyone uh, express anything like that. None of the other speakers just said that he wanted to speak to them about God. and. Um, you know, I always remember, I think I've mentioned to you before the writings of G.D. Uh, Watson, I'm sure we've spoken of him and uh, one of the books that somehow fell into my hands years and years and years ago was a book called Our Own God. And I always recall reading the first chapter. and the first chapter was riveting uh, i can say no other word um, as he wrote about god and uh, this is a, a, a was a wonderful thing and then sometimes in writings from other traditions um not evangelical traditions not um not methodist traditions J.D. watson was uh, was kind of a methodist really a holiness preacher and um but f- perhaps from roman catholic uh traditions sometimes you will, will find uh, a writer again who everything he says breathes the realities the wonder of god and you know i always remember a converted a, a, a man who was converted from anglicanism to um, roman catholicism and i remember a chapter that he wrote in one of his books i almost hesitate to use his name to say mention his name because he i i, I could not understand but he was writing about jesus he was writing about god and the first chapter was about 72 pages long tiny tiny print and it was called concerning jesus from the bosom of the father and let forget it from the bosom of the father and the book itself which is called bethlehem um that's the title of the book, I'm sure it's no longer in print now, but it, it's a very large book, so many words, but that was the first that first chapter from the bosom of the father. And then the second chapter just uh, shocked me really, I think it was from the breast of Mary or something like that. And somehow I, I, I didn't understand and still don't understand how someone can have such a sight of god and yet go into the kind of Mariolatry as that second chapter did i i don't understand that it only brings home to your heart how you have to try and test and examine and uh in, in a way you we used to have a saying perhaps you've heard it before well when you eat a fish you know many of the fishes you don't eat the bones as well you pick the flesh off the bones and uh, i think you've got to do that with some of these writers and um but I, I want to share some more things, a, a little more about God, because if you recall, um, I mentioned that all error really has its roots in the distortion of God. I don't know if you remember that, but error about salvation, Error about the end times, error about whether there's going to be a judgment, error uh, about all things essentially has its roots in a distortion of God. And that if you have a distortion of God, you then... The first almost the first fruits of beginning to think of God and know God in a completely distorted way, or even a partially distorted way, the first fruit of that will be that man becomes distorted. Um, what's man really like well probably is not as bad. As the Bible says, um, you know, uh, man just becomes himself a little bit uh, out of kilter what man really is like in the sight of God. And of course, then, you know, if man is no longer, you know, I mean, someone at table actually yesterday. Uh, we were at table with the leaders of some of these groups on this island, and uh, the question was asked me uh, about. About um, how Lucifer made so perfectly such a creature of wonder and wisdom, how he could fall. And uh, the person, one of the leader's wives, was genuinely perturbed about how this could be when Lucifer, the most glorious of creatures who had been created of God uh, in that time when there was no evil, where there was no darkness, where there was nothing at all, how he could fall and uh, I said some things to that question and then said and I, I, do you realize that there is there a creature that uh, is destined to be greater than angels and only one creature who was ever made uh, created in the image of God and we are one of those we are we are one of mankind unique in the creation of god and it's wonderful to realize created in the image of god but you know that man fell and you know that and you know that God said through Jeremiah in one of his prophetic words. It's the 17th chapter. Um, Man is desperately wicked above all things. Above all things. Man is desperately wicked above all things all creatures. and that includes Lucifer. You just think of that. That's why the most terrible manifestation of evil will not be have been Satan, it will have been a man. and uh, that man is known in the scriptures as the Antichrist. And uh, he you say, well, why is man like that? Because man was made in the image of God. He possesses, you possess powers and abilities that exceed the angels powers. and he who has the most if the most collapses into sin and wretchedness then the most becomes the most yeah about the the immenseness of of, of humankind uh, uh, that god made man in his own image he did not make uh, satan lucifer in his image he bequeathed to lucifer uh, the greatest of the angels many 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 powers but he bequeathed to man he gave to man his own image his powers and it's an amazing thing so that he to whom god granted the most if the most becomes evil and fully evil it becomes the lowest of the low and so this is what took place and that's why jeremiah says or god says through him the heart of man is desperately wicked among all things and this will be seen. The most evil creature that will ever have been manifest will be the antichrist. So you would believe and I would believe that Hitler was an antichrist Mussolini was an antichrist Stalin was an antichrist Pol Pot was an antichrist. You know, there are many antichrists and there have been religious antichrists as well, but they've been in the world, John said in his epistle, they've been in the world, but there will be one day that emergence of the antichrist and uh, his powers fully 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 developed in evil his mind his imagination the faculties of his heart and oh what a time in which to live is it drawing near to us and uh, it's, it's utter intent will be to mimic Christ on one line and to destroy the real Christ on the other and the real Christ's people, which he will not be successful at, but nevertheless, think about these things. And you know, if, if we get God distorted, man becomes distorted and then sin becomes weakened in our eyes and of course you can think about this uh, quite simply um you know that people don't bother about sin you will bother about sin much more in the light of god being revealed to you Truly by he who is given the privilege of revealing God Jesus and the spirits total ministry is to reveal the nature of God. You understand that. This it is the spirits joy to do that now to come to you and me and open my eyes to see Jesus. And when I see Jesus, he who has seen me, has seen the father, has seen the father. That's what Jesus said. He who has seen me is the 14th chapter of John you know is it the 14th or is it the 16th show us the father i'm sure it's the 14th ask you have you seen me and you, you haven't seen the father philip and hallelujah and of course if sin is belittled automatically christ becomes not the sin bearer he he's no longer the one who must die because sin's not so bad after all and we can get round it other ways and jesus's death was an exemplary death it wasn't a propitiatory death and so theological arguments uh, begin and uh, you know and then of course in the end what happens if all that process is taking place, in the end, you know, salvation is rather a a, a sort of pathetic thing. It, it, salvation is not needed in its in the power of God's. We we don't need a great salvation because we're not so bad after all. You know, sin didn't do so much damage to us. You know, so the salvation that we require is, is not quite so much. We don't need Jesus to uh, totally be Lord because we're not so bad after all. We we, we don't need <clears throat> to be filled with the Spirit in such a way as filled with the spirit being filled with the spirit to be full of the spirit is not something anyone should ask God for lightly. Have you seen someone who's been taken over by a spirit? I'm talking about an evil one. Now I have. And, uh, you know, where they're beyond control. Now, of course, God does never take away your control when he fills you with the Spirit, but the principle is total, total control. He wants you to come under the Lordship of the Spirit. He wants to re-educate you and me through and through. He wants to take us. He doesn't want to just uh, improve what you already know a bit. Um, I had the privilege this evening in the meeting and I was speaking on, on the fact of uh, God has called you into the fellowship of his son that's where he's called you he hasn't called you to be a missionary hasn't called you to be a minister he hasn't called you to be this and that and the other a musician in the church i turned to some of the musicians when i said that god hasn't called you to that he's called you into the fellowship of his son it's one corinthians 1 9 if you want to know the verse and i said and that means he's calling you know, you know you ask the question well what does it mean the fellowship of his son it's all to do with you becoming one mind and one judgment with the son that comes in verses 11 and 12 of that chapter as paul says i want you to be of the same mind you know to be in the fellowship is you think the same as jesus you're taught you your whole vision is the same as jesus is you're called into that communion <clears throat> and you see that will certainly mean emptying Emptying. People will be emptied of their ideas. You know that Paul had to be emptied. You might ask, well, what's the theme of this conference I'm doing at the moment? And I'm repeating it every meeting, and I'm developing it in different ways. Called, emptied, fill. Those three words. God calls you. But you've got to be emptied. I've got to be emptied. Paul had to be emptied of his ideas. He had to be emptied of his zeal. He had to be emptied of his pride. He had to be emptied of his national pride, his tribal pride. You know, and he tells us that it had all happened to him, and it began right early on. And as he was filled, he was emptied. And I touched a little bit this evening on Peter, the precious way of Jesus. And I encourage you to do a study on this. Oh, the lovely way that Jesus led this dear man, Peter. And emptied him every step of the way as peter walked with jesus and jesus was doing it with all those apostles he was leading them through uh, experiences where they became empty do you remember peter uh, jesus called him with his brother and by the sea and then called john and uh, uh and his brother and james he called them follow me come follow me and up they went and they followed him and then uh, uh, three months later you find jesus walking by the sea again and uh, peter's back in his boat Peter's back in his boat. Whatever is he doing? Back in his boat. And he's going about his business. He's been out all night. Fishing again. Jesus had called him to follow him. And he's back in his boat. And uh, he goes out fishing all night. And you remember what happens. Catches nothing. Catches nothing. And then... Uh, Peter, let, launch out into the deep. Come on, Peter, launch out into the deep. Now do what you're told, man. Of course, Jesus didn't say that, but launch out into the Oh, we've been fishing all night, and we've caught nothing. But at your word, oh, we'll let down the nets. You can almost feel it. You know, Jesus is extraordinary, but he's not God. Jesus is extraordinary, but you know, what's he saying? And they net down the net, you know, and they catch the fishes. And you know what Peter says, he's emptied a bit. He said, oh, depart from me. I'm a sinful man and there are a, se- a sequence of events like this you you can think of peter you know in chapter 16 of matthew where oh something's been going on in his heart in the hearts of the uh, of the disciples over the months and by this time two and a half years almost and jesus said who do men say that I am? And then, but who do you say that I am? Are you speculators like other people who some say you're Jeremiah and some say, and then Peter on behalf of them all says, oh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Oh, the Father's showed you this, Peter. You didn't get this from flesh and blood. Hallelujah. Something divine's been happening from the Father. In your heart, you're seeing how wonderful. You're seeing who I am. and from Your, you're going, your name's going to be changed from Simon to Peter. You remember how it all happened, don't you? You can imagine something happening inside of Peter he who had natural leadership gifts. And a great uh, charismatic personality and so on. And you could you can almost guarantee you can see him beginning to strut. Uh, and then Jesus says, uh, I've got to die. There's going to be a church. I've got to die. And you can imagine Peter putting his arm round Jesus' shoulders as I'm your number two. Now, um, don't be so intense about this, Jesus. Don't be so dramatic. Um, we, we can work out a different method. I'm sure give us time. We can sort something. And here's a step of the emptying. Oh, get behind me, adversary, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Because you haven't got my mind. You haven't got my mind. You're not in fellowship with me. Can you understand the transforming wonder of Pentecost for these people? You know, when, when they received the life of Christ, they received his mind, still had to be worked through in them in fullness, you see. But these are the things that were happening. God emptying. You know, And that process, you begin to read your Gospels in that light. Understand that Jesus, as he's moving in the fullness of the will of God toward Calvary and revealing the heart of God, those who stuck with him, he was leading into a great emptying and emptying and we've all got to be emptied we've got to be emptied of our of our distorted understandings of god if we've still got some you know don't you that god if we put it this way if we began our thinking about god uh, in in let's let's say what paul wrote in in romans chapter one um, you, you know what paul says about god there don't you 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 know if you wanted to turn to romans one at this point you could do so and you, you would see just how wonderfully Paul is going to write about salvation isn't he he's going to come somewhere uh, that he's not been before they've heard about him and he wants to introduce himself and he wants to introduce what he's going to say to them where he's coming from and where the truth is he wants to talk about his gospel the gospel that he will bring the gospel and here's something for you message you preachers um look at the first uh, session or section of romans one and it goes right down and it, it, look at look at it right through from verse one through to verse 17 and he will tell you this he's introducing himself i'll tell you who I am, I am Paul. I'm separated unto the gospel of God. That's who I am. I've been separated unto the gospel of God. I've been called to be an apostle, but I've been separated unto the gospel of God. And if you slip down in your chapter 1 and slip down into verse 9, you'll find that he introduces himself more. He said, God's my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Do you get that? He's not only separated to it, he's serving God in his spirit. You do understand that that's important because you can go onto YouTube and you will find plenty of good preachers who are serving God with their mind in the gospel of his son with their mind, their spirit doesn't burn. And you can hear it. You can hear its absence. Now, yeah. And then you can look on other channels on YouTube, and you will find some American preachers and not only American, and they serve God. They think, not with their spirit, but with their emotions and their charismatic personality. And that's why they produce a lot of emotional Christians who sing and this, that and the other and don't last when the fire comes. So you got to serve with your spirit. That's what Paul is introducing himself to you. I could challenge you and me. You know, has God got so hold of our spirit you, that we're serving him with our spirit in the gospel of his son so that we don't care what people think of us? Not because we're awkward not because we are uh, obsessive but we our spirit our spirit that's where the fire is that's where your personality is seated do you realize that with the totality and paul is introducing himself i'm serving god with my spirit in the gospel of his son and then if you travel down a little bit further and uh, you 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 come to this famous verse, don't you? Uh, I'm verse 14, 15. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. In fact, I, I, I know that the Greek says I'm eager to preach the gospel to you gospel it's the third time he's mentioned the gospel I'm eager to preach the gospel hallelujah how many of us are eager to preach I mean uh, oh Lord and of course we say well I'm not a preacher no but just to, 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 to share that there is good news because that's what gospel means and then the fourth time, here it is, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't dilute it a bit. I don't make it easier for people because of my shame about it. Because I want to think it needs modifying. I've been emptied of all that. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. And you know that one of the reasons he wasn't ashamed of it was, of course, was that he had experienced the power of it and was experiencing the power of it, the delivering power of it, the emptying power of it, the filling power of it, the renewing power of it, this good news. Thingy. And uh, <laughs> isn't it wonderful to think of it? Wonderful. I'm not ashamed. And then he talks about his gospel. So from one 18, 19 or 18 in particular. From 18 of chapter one, right through to 11 at the end of the chapter of the end of chapter 11. That's his gospel. That's his gospel. It takes him all that time to write the gospel that had been revealed to him. It wasn't come to Jesus and make your decision for Jesus and so on. It all begins here. You know, in 118. And I want you to notice this, my brothers and sisters, you know, that the first thing he talks about God is not the love of God is revealed from heaven. <laughs> you know, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, you know, and so he begins his gospel, and he says that uh, the ungodliness of men and the unrighteousness of men, he he gives us an insight to God, doesn't he? Down here. Uh, what may be known of God, verse 19, is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. How so, Paul? How are they clearly being understood? by the things that are made, even his eternal power and deity. So if man will face up clearly to the things that are made, he. This is one of the reasons why I do not like listening to David Attenborough or watching. Those of you who know those amazing programs about nature. You know that David Attenborough, I don't like listening to him. I don't like listening to his voice because he has chosen with deliberate intent to follow the folly of a billions of years evolutionary thing that might turns away from the fact that everything came from the power of a creative god the th- first thing that you become aware of is his god head that he's the god of power and might and if you examine as some scientists do and some are foolishness enough in the establishment and uh, suffering for it it's impossible that this just evolved utterly impossible and so they begin to opt for what do they call it intelligence you know an intelligent beginning some there was some intelligence there that's a little concession to the bible to the, what is revealed what may be known of god is all to do with revealed in the things that are made i just think of you know those who should be beginning to think right, according to these verses, should be acknowledging they shouldn't be looking to Wuhan as to where the bug came from, the virus came from. They should be looking deeper in that the world. Needs judgment. Its filth and wretchedness, its immorality, its ungodliness, its filthiness is manifesting in such a way that the consciences of men are becoming so so darkened, and the, they're in peril of becoming seared, so that they don't feel anything, and so are utterly unsavable and so god steps in he's a god of power and i uh, i mean I, I i hesitate in some ways but these things must be said if we're going to have a true understanding of the true nature of god he is the creator who cares he's the creator who curates he's the creator who has not left the clock running, you know, moved away until the clockwork runs down. He's been utterly involved. He's been sustaining his creation. He's the one and you know how Paul in his gospel, when he is speaking in another place on Mars Hill amongst all the philosophers and all the rest, he giveth to all things, life and breath and all things hallelujah and the pride of man pushes it all away you know god gave and created wondrous creatures of all kinds to be man's uh, companions, didn't he he created all manner of creatures and the greens and the, uh, you know, the preservation of animals and species and all the rest of it. They make noises. They want us to stop eating meat and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's not eating meat that's Wrong. It's the exploitation of wicked men that makes money out of it that's what's wrong it's the, ex- the wickedness of men that exploits the soil you know the european union in their pride gave an instruction uh, that fields were to be much larger in england do away with the hedgerows do away with all of that and in the end it had to be reversed because as they enlarged the fields, which made them more productive, the various insects had nowhere to feed and because they fed on the hedgerows. And so it goes on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you Americans know full well the Southern Gothic writers, John Steinbeck, Grapes of Wrath, and so on and so on and you know what they did when they enlarged the fields and this is nothing less than the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men because they don't want to acknowledge god and that's just a little sample of how man becomes filled with his wickedness and you you look in in chapter one here as paul goes down his awful litany of uh, the the results you know the corruption of man they they turned away from his eternal power and this is humbling isn't it it's to acknowledge that god is the god of eternal power that he is the god uh, that his deity his deity they didn't want it they didn't want to be thankful you know you see this you see this in so many societies you know the godless societies don't have thank you in their language that's an amazing thing where the gospel has come and taken root thank you comes in the language oh yes it does neither were they thankful it's an amazing thing everything speaks <clears throat> you know what happened to them Man and woman doing things that were wrong. And, you know, you do know, don't you, that these sexual perversions, so that's what they are, at root, are blasphemies against the nature and character of God. That's their root. That's their root. That's, that's it. And so we could say that the almost the first revelation of God is power called Godhead. I could couple this, couldn't I? And you could in your thinking that if you in a humble frame of mind were to read the, the first chapter of the book of Genesis. There is this in offensive word to those who are ungodly. The Bible begins offensively to everything that is ungodly with its first words. In the beginning, God. That is utterly offensive to Mark Zuckerberg. Bill Gates Joe Biden Prime Minister of England Alexander Putin the Wall Street gods it's utterly offensive in the beginning god utterly offensive and I'll tell you, it's been offensive to you and me. Oh, yes, it has. Because from your birth, <laughs> my birth, we got used to the words, in the beginning me. <laughs> in the beginning I. In the beginning I'm first. I'm in the beginning. Me first. You know, in Australia, my wife had a very favorite Australian man who would come to our church and preach. And uh, I used to listen to him. I would go across to Adelaide to his minister's conferences sometimes if I could. His name was Jeffrey Bingham. And Jeffrey Bingham had been raised an Anglican, I think, as a boy. And he was one of the Anzacs. He was one of the Australian troops in the Second World War. And he he was captured. In Malaya. And when Singapore fell he he was captured along with hundreds and thousands of other men, British uh, Americans weren't involved there. Um, British New Zealanders, Kiwis, and there was, of course, Brits, Australians and the Australian and New Zealanders, they were called the Anzacs. Anyway, and they were incarcerated in the prisoner of war camp called Changi. And in that prisoner of war camp, these young 20 year old men, 21 year old men and in those days, 20 and 21 year olds were often men. And uh, unlike today. And uh, they had fought, but anyway. They became like animals because the Japanese, the way the Japanese dealt with them in the camp. And the men were parceled up into groups of about 10 men. And there was a guard in charge and their main meal consisted of rice balls. Little balls of rice. Uh, some of you will know of it, glutinous rice, if you know about it, sometimes with a little bit of meat in it or something like that. In, and molded into bulls and the men became consistently and increasingly f- famished, they were so hungry and uh, Jeff Bingham was in one of the groups of 10 and he had some knowledge of God. And he began to realize what an awful situation they were in because he saw the men being degraded into animals. And the Japanese man, the soldier, would bring the bowl of rice balls and the men, and he would not allow them to eat it until he gave the instructions. And he would sometimes wait five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whereas these men who were uh, so hungry. Were made to sit there and look, you know, and they were edging nearer and nearer the bowl and the Japanese would uh, would mock them and so on. And uh, the men were spending their time looking for the largest ball to get their hand in there first. And then when the Japanese gave command, in they went like animals, squabbling with one another to get the largest ball. And Jeff Bingham, young 21 year old at the time said, oh God, I don't really know you, but we are in a terrible condition. Oh God, if you're real, give me such a heart that can wait till the end until I get the smallest balls. That's what he prayed. And God began just exactly to do that for Jeff Bingham. And he no longer participated in the fight. He waited. He waited. And then, when they'd all stopped, he got the few tiny parts that were left, and God sustained him. And the others noticed it, and he had a Bible, and he began to read his Bible. And as he read his Bible, other men became interested, and it resulted in a move of God in many of the prisoners' hearts. Hallelujah. You see, uh, this is, to me, very, very wonderful. And that man used to come and preach in our church in Australia. And uh, he was a devotional theologian. You can read his writings if you want to. They're all free online, hundreds of them. And they're worth reading. Geoffrey with a G. Bingham, you can download them free. And this man knew God, but that's where it all began. Yes. this humble cry to God in extremities, you know. And he came to this place where in the beginning was God. <clears throat> Not Changi not the tragedy of what was going on you see that's what you get from genesis one the revelation of god and of course he's the god of power he's the god of care he's, and when you get from genesis one you discover he's the god of order don't you you know he speaks and it was so he spoke the word, thank the Lord for this. He spoke the word and it was so. And the first thing he spoke into being was light. I love that. I love that. I love the fact that it was he made light so that everything could be seen what he's doing it could be seen the order of in which things were created first day second day third day fourth day fifth day sixth day seventh day into the rest amen are you, are you with me as, uh, as I say this? That he's a God of wondrous order, unfolding things. He does it all in the light. He didn't create in the night, in the dark. He created in the light. Amen. And this is where God works. He works in the light, which is what dear John takes up, doesn't he? In his first epistle, doesn't he? and he says god is light you know and you and i want god to work in us and god says to us come into my light come into my light stay there walk in the light god is power his deity that's seen in the things that are made god is the originator of all god is the creator of all he reveals himself but we only know him as the god of power but if we look carefully in the book he's given we'll find that there's an order in the way he created all things just like the thing the way that if you come to god and walk with god as many 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 of you have over many many years you will trace that there's been an order in what all everything he's done in your life hasn't it hasn't it that you are a new creation in christ jesus and there's been an order in the way that he's handled you and you will often as you look back if you do from time to time and say oh god that thing that happened to me oh lord but it was all in your order it was all the steps were ordered of the lord you, this is the god you come to know it's tremendous and as you walk in the light you see when i was thinking about talking to you this way i, I wondered myself you know because I, I knew that i had to speak to you about god revealing himself as the god of power and you know that that has been corrupted, you know that the American Indians, you know that they, they felt that God was power, power, great spirit, power. And in many religions, power, they've acknowledged, you see, that there's, there's an overall God, even in Hinduism, though there are millions of gods, they say we're all gods. But there's an overall God, a power, they sense that. But it becomes corrupted, doesn't it? You know that. But I was wondering, well, that's clear, that's clear. But we don't know that he's love when you look at his power. You look at the things that are made, you don't know that he's love. You know, <laughs> you don't know that don't know his nature and as i was thinking now should i say about god being light second god is light or should i say something that jesus said to the woman at the well do you remember what he said about god of course you do god is a spirit god now he's talking to a lady a lady who had been a very emotional affectionate woman seeking for physical affection and physical love so much so the security that it brings that she had been married a number of times, which Jesus shows her. She had retained a measure of religion as a Samaritan woman, and so on. And, uh, you know, she wants to drink of the water that Jesus wants to give her. You, you understand it's the water of holy love. And, uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> That she she gets onto the religious bit, you know. Well, you Jews say that um God's to be worshipped over there in the temple in Jerusalem, and we Samaritans say it's Mount Gerizim. What do you say about that? And Jesus says something about God. And he says, neither in Jerusalem nor in Gerizim. For god is a spirit and you must worship him those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth you know lady you're a spirit you're your personality, your essential being is in your spirit, not in your body, not in your physical attributes. It's in your spirit and God is a spirit and it's when the deep of God, comes to the deep of yourself deep calls unto deep spirit unto spirit spirit unto spirit that's when you will drink the deep draughts that satisfy your soul hallelujah isn't this a tremendous thing are we understanding? You are a spirit. God is a spirit. Amen. That's where the seat of your personality is. That's where the seat of your mind is. Your mind is greater than your brain your brain is the mechanical part that has to be used but your mind is in your spirit <laughs> you may never have thought about that before but it's fundamental that's why you are not to be dismayed if the mechanical part breaks down toward the, you know, sometimes I speak at, you know, uh, Methodist Senior Fellowships. Have you ever heard of Methodist Senior Fellowships? It's where the old Methodists gather together for a meeting. Methodists, usually known as memories slowly fading msf all right <laughs> yeah. you know they know sometimes they give out the intimations the notices in the meeting the memory the msf our dear memories slowly fading brethren will have their <laughs> meeting on such and such a day <laughs> You know, but that's the mechanics breaking down. That's it's not your mind. Your mind is much more full and wondrous than your mechanics. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's tremendous. You you, you realize these things. Do you realize you are spirit and this lady. You know, who had given her body and given her affection oh, to all those men. And Jesus said that to her, God is a spirit, and you're a spirit. Hallelujah. And each one of you, you're not a Filipino spirit. I'm happy to looking at a lovely Filipino lady here, and uh, just at this point. You know, you're not a Filipino spirit, you're a human spirit made in the image of God and God has blessed you with a, a body and the joining together of body and spirit form soul consciousness and you know one day god's going to give to your spiritual being a glorious spiritual body like under his glorious body and you can eat if you want to eat and you won't evacuate what you eat because everything you eat will not need evacuating from your body have you ever thought about jesus eating mm-hmm. eating food <laughs> and you're going to have a body like unto his glorious body and you find no record you're in his resurrection body i'm talking about am i saying to much for you make and you think a little bit about some of these things because it to me it's very very wonderful because we will not be bodiless spirits <laughs> you know and it's very wonderful if i was to say to you you know that your spirit being is not fixed do you, your spirit being is not fixed you know you can grow here on earth is it happening to you where you're growing in love increasing in love increasing in understanding increasing you know it's not fixed it's not fixed it's not fixed oh this is great and that's why you know, when you think about these things, you come very, very distinctly and make these steps and accept God as the God of power and might, who must be first, who creates in light, who is a spirit. You know instinctively that it's all love. God is love. You see, I'd see four things about gods if i simplify it right down first is the god of power power creating and then his spirit his spirit and then he's light and works in light and then you get to chapter four of John's second, first epistle, don't you? God is love. God is. God is. I'll tell you, you you'll never really come to the realities and wonders of God loves you. you know, my wife has had a head start on me. All the, all the way through. Um, right from a child. She knew that God loved her. Right from the beginning. That was her understanding. God loves me. You know and poor old Bernard here. Spending sort of 52 years married to her. You know, uh, I, I could hardly understand how God could possibly love me. Slowly, I've come to understand, I love you. God loves you. He who knows this love of God shall... You know, some of you have been raised in homes, haven't you? Where there was little demonstrative love. Where there was hardly a touch. The lady who is interpreting for me, I've known for more than 40 years. She's a Spanish lady. Her name is Dina. She's very Spanish, but uh, she's so delighted to see Bernard again. Hazen again, and to interpret again. She's one of those very brilliant interpreters. I hardly realise she's there. And uh, you know this lady. She, she loves to touch. She loves to touch. Uh, She's obviously been raised in a home like that. Her father was one of the foremost uh, Spanish theologians, a godly man, I knew him. I'll tell you something amazing about him. You, know, you see, his daughter went off the rails. She became a hippie and she lived with a man who is now her husband has been for years. And uh, you know, <clears throat> God came to that couple and others around about 1977 and, um, you know, transformed them. And they both, among other things, spoke in tongues. And her father had just published a book uh, disproving tongues for today, just published a book in Spanish for the churches. Anyway, he, he came down to some meetings that I was doing on the island. He came down because he wanted to listen. He wanted to hear. And he said to me this, he said, do you know what I've done? I said, no, he spoke fluent English. He said, I've taken my book off the market completely because what I have seen happen in the life of my daughter has disproved everything I wrote. That's what he said. He was a humble man. He was a lovely man. Gone to be with the Lord now. But you know, he was a loving man. This is, this is so wonderful. And some of us have been raised in homes where we haven't had that love, have we? Demonstrated. And sometimes it means we find it great difficulty that God is love. But it'll come. And it'll come this way. It'll come. With, let him be first. Let him be first. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God created. God gives me breath. His power is Godhead. His spirit. His spirit. I'm spirit. He seeks my spirit. He doesn't seek my mental acknowledgement. He doesn't seek me to go forward at the meeting and uh, give my heart to Jesus or believe the four spiritual laws and all these superficial man made approaches to it well intentioned though some of them have been. He wants to, you to know that God is a spirit who is seeking the depths of you. You're a spirit. You? And he's seeking you to and me to walk with him in the light. In the light. That he is and just as God created the first creation in the light, so you his new creation, he will create you in totality in christ so that you are a vivid expression of the new creation in christ the likeness to christ will become evident in you amen the powers some of them at least of christ will become evident in you the love of christ will become pouring through you the shepherd heart of christ will come through you as sure as day followed day in the first creation god working orderly god in his orderly way will bring this newness about and in the light walk in the light i'm not reading the scriptures because i'm going to stop because the time's going but you know you need to take time in them that's why dear john blessed man that he is do you know what uh, what chapter two what he says in chapter two of john after he's told you to walk in the light in his first epistle walk in the light he says the blood of christ will keep you clean as you walk in the light you know as you dwell in the fellowship and and he says as you're walking in the light like that you can't hate your brother that's what he comes into in chapter two you can't hate the brother you can't hate the brother while you're walking in the light and neither can you love the world if you're walking in the light you love not the world, John says love not the world, you know that he gets into that after he's talked a bit and he's talked a little bit in chapter. Two about young men and children and elders, old men. You you know everybody keep walking in the light. You you old maturer ones keep walking in the light. Some of you are look, reading your Bibles, aren't you? You've gone into One John two, haven't you? You're following me. I can see from the screen hallelujah do it you see the sheer logic of truth and you can't love the world of course you can't because you're walking in the light and it's the light of god and it's the light where you don't love yourself and love the world and love what the pride of life and the lust of this and that and the other that's all there in chapter two isn't it and then he, he goes on and says, and in as you walk in the light, there's an unction that works in your spirit, an anointing that abides in you and teaches you and gives you a registration of, of red, amber and green as you walk through things, <laughs> a simple, basic registration of life and death and truth and error and so on and it goes on through his epistle and the, and then in the fourth chapter and i won't go through that i'm doing it all from I, aren't i privileged to know what's in chapter one two three four and five of john without hardly thinking about it it's because i've read it a lot of times and Thought about it a lot of times and looked at God to reveal a bit more to me, and He does a little bit more, a little bit more. And uh, sometimes I say, I never ever saw that before, Lord. It's wonderful, you know. And so you go through it and you come to this God is love. And dear John finishes his epistle in chapter five, the last verse little children. Keep yourselves from idols. Don't you get any idolatrous ideas about God? This is the true God. That's the one I'm talking about. This is the true God. And with that, it's 1.30. No, well, uh, 2.30 for me. Um, but hallelujah, hallelujah. What a delight for me to talk about God. God a thrill. I mean that. And say a little more. About this wonderful God of ours. How can it be. That people don't want him. That's the question I ask. That they. They don't want him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing. I hope that you want him. I hope that you keep. Walking in the light. And for sure, my sister, my brother, you'll find others walking in the light. Your spirit will be refreshed. <laughs> and in the light, he will shed light. Is that right? He will shed light. He'll give you more light. And more life and more understanding. Amen.